Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. you food lovers of the world. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. We've got some winners of interviewees today. We're going to start with a, an old friend of ours who's a, a brilliant a cookbook author, Kathy Barrow. Bagels have, of course, been having their moment in the sun for whatever reason. You've heard a number of programs that we've done on the subject. And Kathy has followed up with the no-nonsense, direct, helpful, and not preachy cookbook about bagels, schmears, and a nice piece of fish. Listen to Kathy. Yes, well, I'll tell you, Chelsea Goucher. Um, is that Goucher? Or is yes, that how it's Goucher. Pronounced? Yeah. Goucher? Yes. You hit the right people because I've been long a fan of, of kelp. And I've fallen in love with your sea asparagus pesto. <laughs> in fact, I almost cried when I finished that off. <laughs> it was oh. so good. <laughs> I have it here favorite. by the spoonful almost every day. Hmm? Oh, he said it's uh, a proud favorite. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, it's very good. And so, Chelsea, um, Chelsea, Chelsea you're, you're in Alaska, but that's a big place. Where, where are you in connection with anyone our listeners would recognize? The, the, name of, the name of the community where you live sounded kind of complicated, but if you can put it a dot on a map for us, that would be great. Yes, so where I'm located is Ketchikan, Alaska. So Ketchikan is in the southeastern region of the state. It's the Alexander Archipelago. So it's the okay. large group of islands that look like they're off the coast. Well, they are off the coast of British Columbia. Um, and so okay, Ketchikan's right. between six and 700 miles north of Seattle. So it's, um, it's the furthest south community in Alaska. It sounds beautiful there, is it? It is. It yeah. is beautiful. Okay. It is a temperate rainforest. So we have a ton of old-growth spruce and cedar trees. Um, of course, being a rainforest, we get a ton of rain. But it makes it an incredibly abundant place as far as the flora and fauna um, it's a very, very cool place to live. And I was fortunate enough to, to be born here and grow up here. So um, it's, it's a very magical place to call home. So I'm, I'm picturing that it's somewhere where the people who went to the Yukon in search of wealth started out in Alaska. Yes, that's very true. Um, Ketchikan's nickname is the first city. And that's often because when, you know, this old steamships were coming up from you know, the yeah. Seattle area. Ketchikan was often where they first stopped off to resupply and, and do all of that on their way up to the Klondike and in search of gold. And did you find any? Uh, well, I haven't found any. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did, you found something almost as good here. Um, let's, let's identify your company called Forage and Found. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm so happy somebody has just has discovered the value of, of 
see veggies. You know what I mean? They're just so wonderful oh my gosh. and abundant. And yes. It's it's just the beginning, too. There's so much um, potential with kelps and seaweeds. Um, and it's really fun. Foraged and Found, actually, my business partner, Jennifer Brown, she started Foraged and Found, of course, just as a hobby. Um, she's from Southern California, and she made her way up to Southeast Alaska working as a chef on, um, you know, tourism yachts. And so oh. while she was working as a chef on the boat, she really – you know, enjoyed working with all of the lo- local um, foods here. You know, of course, everyone knows that Alaska is famous for its salmon and its halibut and its king crab and all of that. Yeah. Um, and there's also a ton of plants and seaweeds. And so she got really interested in it and started just kind of like experimenting with pickling and fermenting and different things like that with some of her friends. And every summer we have a big arts festival here, um, the Blueberry Arts Festival, and she put together a booth to sell some of her wares and got an amazing response from the local community about the products she'd created out of things like bull kelp and sea asparagus. And so she um, got together with some members of her family, and they, you know, put together a business plan. And she was like, I think I'm going to make a go of this and see if I can turn it into, you know, a viable business. And so she officially incorporated the business in 2018, and I joined the company in 2019. So her and I, we co-own it now. Um, we are business partners, and it has been an amazing, an amazing ride and an amazing adventure to, to you know, take a business that started off as just a hobby and start to really grow it and expand it and, you know, get to share, like, this bounty of Southeast Alaska with people from all over the country and hopefully someday all over the world. And so Forged and Found Now, we primarily, we, well, we make shelf-stable food products. We have a line of salsas, pickles, uh, pesto, and pasta sauces, and they're all made with wild-harvested Alaskan sea plants like sea asparagus and the bull kelp, like I mentioned before. Yeah. You know, no, I I always uh, we did some work with um the uh, a um a I don't know what you call him um in in Maine and and it was um uh, Maine um wild Maine kelp or no it was more than mm. kelp I mean we had he sent me um, a whole bunch a whole like a whole crate practically full of, of dried um, sea weed and it was it was fabulous i mean he said he has a cookbook out with recipes you might want to think about that one too oh yes yeah we do actually on our website um we do have a website for foraged and found where you can buy all of our products online and have them shipped to you anywhere in the united states um and on that website we have a whole page just dedicated to recipes with our products so someday it would be very fun to make an actual cookbook, but one thing at a time. <laughs> so, well, he's very spiritual, and so is his partner. Um, uh-huh. and, and Hold they, on a minute. Let, let's, before we forget, let's spell out Forged and Found the URL just so that people don't, don't have to go hunting around for it. Okay. It's, uh, it's HTTPS yes. colon forward slash forward slash foraged, F-O-R-A-G-E-D-N-F-O-U-N-D.com. Got it. Okay, thank you for that.
Yeah, absolutely. I'm just writing it down. Found. Um, well, he had a great variety of different seaweeds that he sent me. And, and um, I mean, there were so many kinds. But um, I, I think there was all wild. You know, is yours all, because foraged, is yours all wild as well, or do you, um, you actually plant it or whatever? So right now, what we're using is wild harvested um, bullwhip kelp, which is actually a brown algae that grows very fast here in Alaska. And it's a super, it's a, it's a unique seaweed because it has a very hearty, um, hearty, crunchy consistency to it. It pickles very well, like a cucumber would. Um, and it's high in protein, which is very cool as like a vegan source of protein. And it also mm-hmm. is high in trace. Um, nutrients like magnesium and iodine. Right. And so primarily we use that. And right now we are wild harvesting it. We work with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, and they permit all of our harvest and kind of, you know, dictate where we can harvest and how much from any given bed. But as we grow the oh, business, yeah. we, are, we are very interested in working with kelp farmers. So in southeast Alaska, kelp and seaweed farming is a – a very important up-and-coming industry. Um, you know, the communities, the people that live here, the, the state and local governments are very supportive of the growth in the mariculture industry. So my business partner and I, we're excited to see the farmers really develop their techniques and become more consistent, consistent in their practices because as they do, eventually we would really like to, to buy kelp from them and support their businesses. Now, you mentioned you, you stuck a word in the mariculture. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Yes. Mar- yeah, like mariculture Mar- is kind of See. the uh, catch-all term for um, kelp farming, seaweed farming, that sort of thing. Okay. So somebody, so somebody doing that in, in Maine would call it the same thing, mariculture? You know, I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I know in Alaska, you know, in, in economic development circles, that's what we call it is mariculture. And, okay. um, you know, I've, I've heard it called the same other places as well. Now, do you, do you deal primarily in kelp and uh, sea asparagus? Because there, there were so many varieties in this package I got from Maine. Some of them were red seaweed and uh, different sh- sizes leaves and shapes and things like that yeah i mean there you know there's an abundance of edibles here in alaska both on land and sea from you know berries wild mushrooms and then in the sea there's other things like sea lettuce pop weed all kinds of things right now we're we are just focusing on the bull kelp and the sea asparagus but there's like unlimited potential (laughs) Um, so you you could go on and on with this on expanding huh I mean, yeah, theoretically, you know, if, if it makes sense, if, if the population supports it, you know, obviously we are very um, aware of sustainability in everything we do. We want to make sure that we are part of the ecosystem and not, you know, leaving a huge, a huge impact on it. And so we're mindful of that, but there's, there's a lot of potential. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that, I, that was going to be my next uh, exploration is uh, if everybody catches on to how wonderful this seaweed stuff is, how are you going to keep from its big over farms like, like fish and, and everything else that we have as a natural resource? 
Well, the unique thing about kelp farming is it is a very regenerative type of farming. So kelp farmers, they don't require almost any, I mean, they have to obviously put in um, a lot of capital investment for the infrastructure, like the float and buoy systems, that sort of thing. But the kelp farming itself, it doesn't require any, you know, you don't have to use any enhancements like fertilizers or pesticides or anything like that. And the kelp, as it grows, actually helps take carbon out of the ocean and it also helps to deacidify the ocean. So kelp yeah, farming in good and of itself is, yes, yeah, that's it's very, a very regenerative. Yeah. I was going to ask a naive question like, how, how do you actually farm it? You get out there and so, go, yeah, go there in a boat. Well, I'm not a kelp farmer, so I don't know all the details. But from what I okay. understand and what I've seen of pictures, usually it involves some kind of a system where, you know, in a permitted area, in a, in a bay or cove, um, they'll set up a network of, like, rope and float systems. And sure. then uh, on the rope, they'll, you know, inoculate with, like, the, the spores or the seeds of the different kelps and algaes. And then they'll grow from there. Okay, um, off the different rope systems. But there is still a lot of experimentation to be done in that industry um, as far as really figuring out what the best techniques are to get the kelp to grow and be the most healthy that it can be. So like I said, I'm excited to see how that all develops as well because, I, I, you know, my hope is that our business can grow alongside these other businesses, <laughs> um, which which is important and it's meaningful to me as a Southeast Alaskan because, you know, here in Alaska, we don't, um, you know, it can be a struggle sometimes to, to find jobs and industries that are sustainable and that can really keep people going without, you know, causing a huge amount of damage. You know, we used to be um, a region very oriented on uh, the timber industry, which oh, yeah. timber is great. I have no problem with cutting trees. We have to. I mean, it, we have to. But they were cutting old growth timber here and turning it into pulp for paper making and things like that. And so, you know, maybe that wasn't the wisest, the wisest use of that resource. So um, it, it's fun to be part of something that's growing and that people are excited about and that could really possibly be something that works um, both for the people that live here and, you know, doesn't do too much harm to the environment. And if anything, might actually enhance it because it is such a regenerative type of farming. Yeah, but it, it regenerates with a little help, though. I mean, you have to uh, seed things and whatnot. Oh, yes, yes. But now your product comes in jars, right? It does come in jars, yes. Jars, jars it's prepared on. as opposed to, I mean, what we got from um, the guy in Maine was this, I told you, a whole crate full of dried seaweed. Yeah, yeah ours I mean, are all are all like fully finished products. Like I said, my business partner, she was a chef on these yachts. So she has an impeccable palate. She has great taste. And if I do say so myself, all of our products are very delicious. <laughs> we have, um, we have four flavors of salsa. We have three flavors of pickle. And then we have the sea asparagus pesto, which is a very like bright, um, citrusy, just really good pesto. And then we have, two pasta sauces, a marinara and a spicy arriata. 
And we had the arrabbiata, and and Peter liked it a lot, and he's fussy about his pasta sauces. Yes, that's always the test. (laughs) Is when you can get a fussy (laughs) a fussy cook to like our products. That's when we know we're onto something. And so, um, I do I do feel like my partner really came up with um, some very good recipes. So I'm I'm proud to to share those with people. Yeah, well, you should be. Yeah, um, and and we've said that there are all these health benefits, nutrition. Um, it's a natural source of so many things. Um, you know, it's just healthier. It feels healthier eating than actually, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, no. we are. We're. You know, we're very mindful, too, with the other ingredients we use. We want to use, like, high-quality ingredients. We're really moving. Most of what we put into our products are all organic. We're not 100% there yet, but we're moving in that direction. And so it's important to us that not just not just the wild-harvested ingredients, but all of the ingredients we use are, you know, from a good source and an ethical source um, and something that ultimately is going to exactly make people feel good when they eat it. I mean, that's that's what food is all about. It's it's fueling the body, and we want to be part of that. Now, uh, tell me about um, who who do you see as your customer, and who do you market to? Well, I mean, our customer really, um, you know, it's a wide range of people. I think that, you know, consumers increasingly are interested in, you know, plant-based alternatives. They're interested in things that are ethically sourced, things that are locally sourced, um, things that, you know, have a nutritional benefit. I mean, that is one of the nice things is, you know, you open a jar of one of our salsas, and unlike many other salsas, you're getting a little bit of protein, you're getting some iodine, you're getting some magnesium, you're getting some things that you definitely wouldn't get out of any other kind of salsa. Um, and, you know, we don't compromise on the flavor. So it's nice that you can open something up, eat it, enjoy it. It tastes good. And at the same time, you're getting a little bit of a bonus with these nutrients. And so yeah, I think you, our you consumers ring all the really bells. are. <laughs> you yeah. ring all the bells as far as it sounds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you should note that the be- while, while Ann and Chelsea were talking, the, the doorbell rang. So I'm a, I'm a little breathless because I did 48 steps down and 48 steps back up. Oh, I didn't even hear it. So I'll keep <laughs> well, it Randy didn't, didn't hear it. Was, it was the wine merchant. Oh, okay. That's heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, it's, it's sort of Christmas here every day. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so, so you haven't identified, I mean, you think that the market is, it's like across the board for all these things that that are, are targeted now in the in the consumer, um, with sustainability, health, uh, flavor, uh, accessibility. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, okay, absolutely. Do you, do you um? I mean, you have on your website you have recipes and stuff. Do you do any ancillary activities to promote the products? Oh, yes, we do. I mean, we have, you know, you can find us on on Instagram and on Facebook and LinkedIn. So we do all the social media. And then this year we participated in our first major trade show, 
we had a booth at um, – we're part of the Specialty Food Association, which is a, a national – Oh, you did the Fancy Food Show in, in the – We in the, did. Yeah, we did it in Las Vegas in February, and that was that's so That's probably fun. how I found you, right? Probably. 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 Yeah. <laughs> a lot's <laughs> happened between now and then, but probably. Yeah. Um, the Fancy Food Show, and that was so fun, you know, because it's been, it's been a challenge, um, you know – growing a business in in the times that we're living in because, you know, grocery buyers have been, you know, much more conservative because there's so much uncertainty in the markets and there hasn't been as much um, opportunity to sample. And that's the thing is sampling our products is really important because, you know, there's a lot of people that they hear the word kelp and they instantly – they have a a negative connotation, which, which is understandable, you know, but then why, you get them to try. Why would they have a negative connotation for kelp? I would, well, I would think. I mean, why does the human brain work as it does? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, maybe they tried something. They tried some seaweed when they were a kid and it tasted fishy to them or something, you know. And so then mm-hmm. they just, they write it off. And, um, but if you try some of our stuff, you know, nine times out of ten, people are like, wow, this is really good. And so it was fun to go to the fancy food show and get to sample our products. And we got a really good reception. Um, and it was just, it was really enjoyable. So we're definitely looking forward to doing that again next year. Right. And then my business well, they have, partner and they I. they have one in New York in um, June, I think it is, this year. That's yes. the one we usually go to. Actually, yes. Yeah, I've heard that days. was wonderful as well. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. Absolutely huge. There's no way you can actually uh, um, go get through the whole show. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> yeah. But, well, listen, um, it's been a revelation that, that finally people are discovering something I've been supportive of for a long time, which is a Well, seaweed. you're ahead of your time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just happen to like seaweed. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and and I really think that you have like a, a ever expanding market in front of you because it's hardly been touched. And um, yeah, so so I, I'm glad you're seeing some success, and I wish you have you to have continued success and and keep us posted as to what new directions you take and so forth. Again, listeners, we will definitely do that. Yeah, it's Foraged and Found is the uh, company. Uh, we're talking yes. to partner Chelsea Goucher. And, and, and you're going to be really kind of amazed at how versatile this product line is. Um, don't forget, check out the website, which is foragedandfound.com. And yes. thank you, Chelsea. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this. Thank you. All right. It seems that not only bagels are having their moment, in general, I think because of the pandemic, um, bakery, bakies, bakings, <laughs> bakers are all having their moment. And we're going to be talking to Erica Bruce, who's been everywhere. She'll tell us about that. And her business, the Beau Gateau, which is, of course, the beautiful cake. Uh, listen to Erica. We're we're going to be interviewing Erica Bruce. Uh, Her company is called Le Beau Gâteau. (laughs) In fact, I remember my high school and college French. (laughs) That's the beautiful cake, right? (laughs) Yes. So so anyhow, Erica, I I saw an article in in the 
the local Post-Gazette paper, and you are in, in Pittsburgh, which is where we're based as well. And um, it, it occurred to me that, I mean, I knew some of the uh, pastry chefs you've worked with and some of the uh, other restaurants that you've worked at, and it seemed to me at this time when we're under a lot of stress, the restaurant industry is under a lot of stress, uh, and having a lot of issues with um, uh, workers, that it, it seemed interesting, that it might be interesting to people with a culinary background, culinary skills, or people thinking of that, to know all the variations, because you've done a lot of different things with your skills. So uh, could you tell us just a little bit about, um, first, about the, what you've done, your background, and, um, and, and and we'll end up talking about uh, the Bogato. First, like, where are you originally from? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean originally I, I grew up kind of all over, but mostly East Coast, West Coast. Um, but I spent most of my, I would say, I guess 20, late 20s, 30s in, in the Boston area, flipping between Boston and the Bay Area out in California. Which is where you worked with Joanne Chang. It should, yeah, Joanne in Boston. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I did. I grew up. I did grow up uh, when I lived in Massachusetts. I grew up on the South Shore uh, in a small town called Duxbury, um, which now has claim to fame to the Island Creek oyster. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which unfortunately weren't there when I was growing up, but um, they're fabulous. Uh, but yeah, I, um, I I really love Boston, and I ended up going back there to um, go to culinary school. Once I decided that was the path I was going to take, um, after having worked years doing front of the house jobs in restaurants. Um, oh, so that's why you got introduced to it, front of the house. Yeah, 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 okay. front of the house because you know I was traveling and I don't know experiencing life, <laughs> and it was a really great flexible career that um, you know you can make a lot of money, and now unfortunately that's not the case. Um, and those are the people that are really <laughs> True. struggling because of COVID, but. Um, you know, at the time, it was it was a great gig. Um, but, yeah, I decided that food was a really a draw for me. And I think originally I had kind of dreamed about becoming a food writer. I was really enamored oh, yeah. by Ruth Rachel. Yep. And, um, well, you don't, you don't take it from one who knows. You don't make a whole bunch of money doing that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I find writing really difficult. So, um, But that was my original sort of intent. And then, um, yeah, once I was in culinary school, um, I really enjoyed baking um, and got into straight out of culinary school working in bread bakeries. Um, and then I got that time and I got into cakes and, um, and then eventually went into restaurants. And then, um, yeah, it's been interesting all the different things that I've done that I didn't really realize when I first got into food or food career that I, I didn't realize were even jobs. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a surprise to me. It's also been, um, you know, a really nice, pleasant experience because uh, it's always great when your career kind of morphs and changes and the more you know and, you know, more opportunities you have. Um, it's kind of exciting. Yeah, and so, but um, you continued moving around, I guess. You said you, you ended up in Pittsburgh because your husband's job? Yeah, yeah. So I was... Um, I had just started my first iteration of Le Bogato, which was more focused on wedding cakes, um, uh-huh. and I was balancing that with doing freelance um, magazine recipe development assignments, and also I was getting into food styling. 
which I really enjoyed. Um, uh-huh. And then, yeah. yeah, and then he got this, this great opportunity um, to do a fellowship um, in dermatology here in Pittsburgh. So, and, and then my, I had a daughter of six months old. So once we got here, I kind of was like, oh, I'm not sure if I can start my business at this point <laughs> in my life. So I was fortunate enough to continue doing the freelance recipe development um, from, from Pittsburgh um, for, you know, the magazine back in Boston um, for Cook's Illustrated and Cook's Country magazine, um, which is great for, you know, being home and, and raising my kids. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. of course, that's one of the sticking issues with everybody in the culinary field, how you handle what kind of job you get and what are your hours and how you can mm-hmm. carry on parenting. That's toughy for women. Yeah. But uh, it, it, George yeah, Goldstein once absolutely. told me that, that that's probably why there have been so many opportunities assigned from just straight restaurant chefing um, for women because of their need to balance all this stuff. Yeah. Which is probably true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're pretty much, in, and you you also give up your time to um, to, to charities and and so forth. You've cooked for other kinds of organizations, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not as um, unfortunately uh, as much as I'd like to be right now, just because I'm a lot of my time is you're busy spent trying to yeah expand my business, but. Um, before I started my business, I was volunteering um, with 412 Food Rescue, which is an absolutely fabulous organization here. Um, they were offering uh, these free cooking lessons called Cooking Matters, which I think is a nationwide program. Um, I think it's through AmeriCorps, I'm not sure. Um, so I started doing that, and then they opened up a, a kitchen in Millvale that actually processed um, all the surplus food that was getting donated. Um, yeah, and then making it into meals for the nonprofit partners that they serve. So I was doing that, and then I started actually, I got a part-time job actually working there, um, and that was all right before COVID happened. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, and where I rent from, the East End Cooperative Ministry um, in East Liberty, they do very much a similar um, setup. They're an actual food pantry, um, but they create meals for the community and, and for residents that live there. So eventually I'd like to start um, volunteering at least one day a week in the kitchen. I keep telling the chef I will, but I'm not sure if he's, Holding his breath. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, I found out, um, unfortunately, um, when my I stocked my my freestanding basement freezer uh, with um, hundreds of dollars worth of stuff, including meat orders, and mm-hmm. um, woke up to find that the um, that we had lost power. And and oh, the, no. the freezer was broken, and and all this ground veal was thawed, and you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's horrible. Yeah, oh, no. it was horrible. Yeah, wow. but I found out in the process that um, a lot of these food rescue organizations won't take donations from a private residence. I mean, I I understand exactly why. I mean, they could have right. big time liability issues if anything went right. wrong. Right, but yeah. so yeah. I mean, but I was, yeah. <laughs> but all my good intentions of giving away the food <laughs> became very limited. So I called my yeah. hairdresser who cooks, <laughs> and, and and he called his sister who also cooks. There you go. And I managed to re- managed to rescue a few items, like I think two steaks, uh, two steaks, um, 
One of them, that Wagyu even, <laughs> was like 25 bucks. Oh, my gosh. These steaks. I know. Good for you. I'm, a, I'm on a Facebook group, a local group called Buy Nothing, and people post food all the time, and it gets snatched right up. <laughs> really? I, yeah. I wonder how they handle I know about um, uh, that organization, that group, um, but mm-hmm. I, I wonder how they deal with the um, liability issues. I think because it's all just uh, – it's a community – you know, I don't think it's anybody taking um, responsibility for it, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. It's just neighbors oh, that are exchanging with neighbors. So they couldn't actually stick it on anybody, <laughs> on one person. Right. I, see. It's, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> well, so anyhow, I'm, I'm, I've decided not to replace or I haven't quite decided yet not to replace that because we have two refrigerators with freezer compartments in the bottom, so I thought maybe I'd try that. But it, yeah. it was, I, you know, it just it broke my heart. I mean, I had all this meat. I had duck breasts. I had all this meat to throw oh, in. Yeah, it's it horrible. It's happened in my, restaurants, too, and it's, it's the it worst thing. It broke my coffee book. Which, honey? I said it broke, it broke my coffee book. Yeah. <laughs> it broke his pocketbook. Um, but we, oh, we, right, we, yeah. <laughs> I think we managed to rescue the sausages by cooking them right away, and the uh, the chicken, which was not totally thoroughly because it was packed together, thawed the chicken thighs and um, what else? Uh, two steaks. Rest <laughs> I gave to Frank or Carlin and, and, and had to dump the rest and it broke my heart. But anyhow, that's not neither here nor there. Uh, so okay. The thing that amazed me the most is when you told me that there you are, a pastry chef, and you don't even have a sweet tooth. <laughs> Same with oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's gone down as the older I get. I mean, to the point now where I'm just, yeah, I will never order dessert unless, you know, it's for research. Um, but, yeah, I'd much prefer to have a nice piece of cheese or, you know, something salty or crunchy or, you know, after a meal, if I if I have anything at all. But I do love the act of baking. I think there's something, I don't know, it's very soothing about the scientific approach. Um, and I also like how tactile it is. I love working with doughs, um, shaping doughs by hand, uh, rolling out pie dough, all that sort of stuff. Uh, really uh-huh. appeals to me. So, But sugary sweets, no. <laughs> um, we have um, we have the, got this cookbook that we're interviewing next. Uh, from this cooking school that I didn't even know existed. And it's uh, Ferrandi Paris. Oh. Yeah, anyhow, mm-hmm. I've never seen anything quite like this. I mean, they, the stuff they made, I wouldn't be able to make that in a, a zillion years, despite the fact that I've cooked my life. But anyhow, yeah. um, so let's move on to Le Beau Gateau. Tell us a little bit about the company. Well, I started it up again. Um, I think the main reason was I was really ready to start uh, working out of the house again. <laughs> and I wanted to yeah. cook and be around other people. Um, and I just sort of, yeah, I missed, I missed cooking commercially. Um, and then, you know, I thought about going back into wedding cakes, but then I realized um, that it was a little more appealing to me to do a broader um, range 
of baked goods. And also what I had learned when, while running a wedding cake business was I had worked, you know, you'd work really hard to get a client and you'd get a client and then they'd order one cake from you, right, for their wedding and then that was it. And then you have to kind of start all over again. Okay. It didn't seem to make much sense as a business model. So now I sell much more just, you know, special occasions, uh, birthday cakes or, you know, cakes that people are just serving for dessert, um, anniversary cakes, that sort of thing. Um, and that seems to be, yeah, doing really well. And then um, I just started recently selling at the Bloomfield Winter Market. Um, and I do little, like, you know, individual things seem to sell better. So I'll do, you know, brownies and little individual galettes. And I do my sticky buns, which I sometimes feature. Uh, I started doing a thing called uh, what I call brunch boxes. So I would do those, um, you know, maybe once a month on a Sunday, and it would be an assortment of sort of miniature pastries, Oh, nice. And um, people, that seems really popular. So um, it's still evolving. Um, I, you know, my focus is really working with, you know, local and whenever possible organic ingredients. I'm trying to incorporate more whole grains into a lot of the things I bake um, and, you know, seasonal produce and that sort of thing. Um, so that kind of guides what I decide I'm going to make and put on a menu. And then I do a lot of special holiday menus as well. So, you know, Mother's Day is really big. Valentine's Day was really big. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the holidays. Yeah, it's, I it's definitely seasonal, I know. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, uh, like, you, you don't think that the, uh, the the wedding cake, I mean, I know somebody who actually has her whole career wrapped into making wedding cakes. No, I definitely that's think what, that's a possibility. I just think that wasn't what I was as passionate about anymore. Yeah, but um, there were all these strange things. I think I told you before oh, that exactly. yes, my friend did, did one I'm still upside thinking about down. <laughs> it was hanging from the chandelier. I mean, it was absolutely the strangest thing I've ever seen. I and know. <laughs> just it's amazing. Try thinking of think, cutting an upside down no, hanging exactly. cake. It's going to land on your head. Yeah. I think, I my think favorite that's like, was, just, my favorite experience that was, um, a, a very prominent chef I knew um, had his wedding at, at a, uh, a, a high in the sky um, uh, restaurant, and um, he he's always wanted to have a very tall wedding cake. I mean, he's not a pastry chef, but he wanted a tall wedding cake. So we went to the wedding reception, and um, I'm sitting there, and we were close to the cake table. And <laughs> I saw this thing move. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the top layers just slid off the cake and landed on the floor. And the mother oh, no. of the bride said, am I losing it or did that cake just move? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, talk about recovery. They just sliced up the, the base of the cake and passed it out yep. to people. Just pretend it never happened. Move on. I, but that's, yeah, that's a perfect uh, example of why I think it's not appealing for me to do weddings anymore because it is super, super stressful. You think the most stressful thing I've ever stressful. experienced is trying to deliver, a, you know, a really big cake like that or a cake that, you know, just, yeah, you have to drive really slow and everybody beeps at you. and Yeah, it's just um, <laughs> And then you worry that you're going to worry some, you know, you're going to ruin somebody's the most important day of their lives. <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of pressure. I do. I do still do cakes, though. I mean, I will do cakes. I don't want to scare people off, but um, yeah. it's just not 
it, it they go my, in fashions too, don't they? I mean, like yeah. yes. Right now, are they in live flowers on the cake or something? Which is a concept. I think they've I gone back really to that get. and less less fondant, which I think is great because I always thought fondant tasted horrible and. Uh, well, it's it's you know, chalky, horrible, yeah. It, yeah, and then it has it, they people would want these colors, like really intense, like sometimes black fondant. And then I would try to tell them, like you know, it's gonna die every piece <laughs> at the wedding. Like you know, they, they I don't care it's what I want. I'm like, all right, I tell them to peel it off. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it definitely goes careful. in phases. You have to be careful not to go the British way, which is one of the things you do with the cake once the wedding is over. Is you. You cut it up into small pieces, and you can even buy boxes the right size, and you put a piece of the wedding cake in the box and mail it, Mm -hmm. and it it arrives at the recipient's house. Oh, really? Shall we say it's a little dry by that time? Well, yeah, we have a niece... You know, Peter's from the UK, and we had a niece who got married, and we couldn't go to to that wedding. And uh, but lo and behold, we got this box in the mail, and uh, it was all kind of smashed in. <laughs> and inside was this piece of wedding cake. I had no idea where it had been, how long it had been out that is there. Amazing. And not only that, that but amazing. Well, oh Peter gosh. didn't tell you the the best thing is the wedding cakes in the UK are fruit cakes. <laughs> I, I made I had made a fruit cake actually for some. I think it was a British woman, and um, and it yeah, it was covered in marzipan and fondant. That's uh-huh. it. That's yeah. exactly what, what. That's what it's that's supposed exactly to be like. That's a wedding yeah. cake. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least if it's fruit cake, it will it will hold up a little better. But that's really funny. <laughs> Now, Erica, how does anybody get in touch with Labogato website? Yep, which is labogato.com. And then through the website, you can email me. um, You can also follow me on social media, which is labogatopgh or at labogatopgh. I'm not even sure how those addresses work. Um, But I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And, and yeah, that's the two best ways to to get in touch with me. Labogato.com is the website, though. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> you have a great story, and um, I think that from your various experiences, people should get the idea that it's not a dead end profession, despite COVID. <laughs> it's a closing all these. No, no, not at all. There's a lot of. I mean, there are a lot of different things you can do in the food business between food science and recipe testing and development. And now there's what there um, influencers that go around and like. Make a make a living out of, you know, just promoting food businesses and you know being involved in the food world. So there's lots of different creative things that you know pop up every day. Pop ups well, is another thing people are doing. Chefs are doing pop ups all over the place. Yeah, um, really even cool. the what's the, her name? Um, oh, the one baker I always trust her books. Oh, she she she's very big on cookies. Who is am I talking about? Rabbit. I don't know. If she lives half the year in Paris and half in New York. Uh, I was thinking about Marie Antoinette. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, Erica, I love talking to you, and I'm I'm happy to. This has been so much fun. Yeah, it's been fun. Again, it's Erica Bruce, listeners, Le Beau Gateau, you can find her online.com, com, 
and uh, it, and she's fun to talk to as well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Erica. Great. Thank you so much. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Uh, We've had many life-changing experiences as a result of this pandemic and covid um, one of the most enduring is that we kind of got used to doing online grocery shopping, and I think it's a um, a lifestyle change that's going to endure. So we've been bringing you different models of that kind of approach to grocery shopping. Um, today's example, we're going to be talking to Linda Yinger of American Farms Produce in the Strip District in, in uh, Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania, but note that this will have various forms all across the country. Um, Linda Yinger's operation is called America Farms Produce, and she'll tell you a little bit about that model and how it works. Go ahead, Linda. Well, we're going to be talking to Linda Yinger, who um, runs American Farms Produce, an operation in Pittsburgh Strip District. Uh, and, and I'm going to start off by saying that um, we've done a lot of these online food uh, purchasing and subscription things or whatnot. And uh, American Farms Produce sent better quality, um, the best quality of anything that we had tried. <laughs> I still have some broccoli left from that shipment that stayed fresh all this time. But I need to get my head around this company, uh, Linda. Um, so I started asking you, um, can you just describe the country or the company and, and its backstory and so forth and options? Start out by what is American Farms Produce? Is it a company? Sure, yes. American Farms Produce is a company. Um, It actually originated in Youngstown, Ohio, and it delivered to food service, small businesses within the area, Cleveland, Youngstown, and even into uh, Pittsburgh, PA. Um, Our sister company, Consumer Fresh Produce, acquired the company back in 2015. And because of the synergy between the two, it promoted a further reach for us into Ohio for our product. And when the pandemic hit, you know, I thought to myself, why can't we bring the benefit of the freshest produce that we carry directly to the consumer? Why should they have to go through the middleman in the supermarket and we can take this direct to them? So that's what we decided to do because the increasing demand for the home delivery of product was there. Um, and oh, they sure really wanted, wanted anyone else touching their items. They wanted limited touch. They wanted things direct from the farm. They want traceability. They want to know where their food is coming from, where it's grown. And that was where... Um, we thought we had that benefit to offer because we reach product from 
family farms all across the United States, not just Well, locally. that's another thing. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, we so have... They're, they're family farms. Let's get that one straight up. Not sure. Things. Family farms. Oh, absolutely. Well, the vast majority of farms and ranches in the United States are family-owned and operated. Even though they may appear to be as a large corporate farm, most of these farms are family-run and owned. Um, I would say most of your U.S. domestic production of food comes from relatively few large operations, large and very large family farm um, produces probably accounts for 63% of all the produce sold in the United States. And your smaller farms, probably about 15%. That's why it's so important to support your local family farms. That's what so you do a them. lot of local. You emphasize local, but you also source a whole across the U.S. Across the U.S. We only deal with farms that are certified, though. We have a very strict food safety program here, and we only will deal with farms that are USDA certified. We want only the best product in well, our I mean, boxes. the quality was just amazing. Um, let me ask a question about the quantity because it seems rather a large amount of, of product for, the, for what I took to be the, the pricing on, on the website. So right now we offer pretty much a free delivery and we're only servicing the Pittsburgh and surrounding suburbs. Um, and we're unfortunately not able to ship outside of that area because it is not cost-effective, then it becomes a little bit more costly, and we can't guarantee the level of freshness from our door to yours. So we wanted to keep it small within this area so we could guarantee that cold chain and the, fresh of the, the freshness of the produce. Well, the quality um, so, was so extremely high. I mean, I have, I have a lot to compare it to because you know, we've done this for a long, for a long, well, thank a long you. time. That's so it's, nice to hear. Thank you, because truly that is what we strive for is quality. We want the consumer to be happy. You know, we don't want you to be disappointed when you get that box and go, oh, geez, I only have a day or two to use this in. No, we want you well, to get that. I mean, that's honestly, kind of, that's pretty much what is out there, you know. I mean, I don't know if you've sampled all these other uh, uh, services, but <laughs> you get things that are already half dead. You could tell they've been trimmed back, you know. Yeah, and that's that's a shame. Some of it is organic, so when you're receiving some products from other um, services, it might be organic product, and that tends to look not as pretty but you, you probably have some of the quality there, too. It just isn't as pretty as some of the more conventionally grown. Well, is yours conventional or organic? It's both. So oh, okay. we choose whatever is in season and is of the best quality for the time of the year. So if organic broccoli is nicer this week than conventional, then we're going to go with the organic. Whatever is the freshest is what we put into our boxes. Okay, well, let me ask you this now. Uh, we got the keto-friendly veggies and fruit box. 
Yes. Which in- included a thing of celery, a red pepper, a green pepper. And actually, we had a, another pepper in there, maybe two other peppers. Um, we a, a bag of spinach, a bunch of asparagus, which is certainly not in season. Um, we we it's just two avocados. We got three, um, a, an English cucumber, uh, two tomatoes. We got a couple more, two zucchini. We got three of those. Head of cauliflower, two broccolis. We got three, a, a very large thing of green beans. Then we got um, uh, little clamshells of raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, blackberries, and two very large lemons. Now, is this the normal size for just an ordinary delivery box? It is. Yes, it is. And so, what, yeah, what would be the cost of that then? So for our keto-friendly box, our boxes generally run from the combo the keto, um, the large veggie or the large fruit, they run anywhere from 38 to $52. Do you realize how extraordinary this is? <laughs> I mean, well, truly. You know, honestly, I, I've been fortunate enough to grow up in a produce environment, and I've always had the benefit of access to fresh fruits and vegetables so i've been spoiled my whole life and that's all yeah, well, i've ever eaten so well, we I, always had a garden my mother was a gardener yes. and i used to get all the stuff fresh from the garden yeah yes including absolutely. raspberries and blueberries and blackberries and stuff oh so, no that uh, was always fun to go and pick all the berries and oh stuff. sure and you come in and put them in a bowl and throw some sugar on them oh yeah that so was now, I mean, this was called the keto friendly. Now you also sent us a box, a separate box, which is the Easter special, which included things like jelly beans and uh, chocolate bunnies and uh, yes. lots of fruit. Yeah. Um, so apple, we do have a lot pears. of gift boxes as well. Um, we have your typical combo boxes and veggie and fruits, but we really like to concentrate on more of a line of a gift box, too. So um, they'd kind of evolved over a demand. People were requesting and starting to send, oh, I'd love to send that as a gift. I'd love to send this as a gift. So we start putting together uh, more of a gift box theme for people so they had that choice because we found they're sending them for birthdays, thank you, sympathy. So we started to embrace that concept and put together more of the gift boxes, and they have been popular. So we do have some Easter boxes right now. There's a a very happy Easter box. It has strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, along with your standard chocolate bunnies and um, foil-wrapped eggs and jelly beans. And a lot of the products that we use that are um, the pantry items, the jelly beans, the chocolates, right now they're Sarah's. Um, but we do have some chocolates that we put in, too. I um, miss we, him. <laughs> yes. Oh, what a character he was. So. Um, now, um, your, your website, does it list all of these options? You can get different things, right? It does. So you can go right to AmericanFarmsProduce.com, and there is a shop button in the upper right-hand corner. You click on that, and it takes you right into our store. And 
every there's a picture of all our products and if you click on them it lists all the ingredients the pricing and everything is there it's a simple add into a cart and put in your information and you're good to go very simple now do you have to uh, commit to a subscription or can you just do it out cart as you need it you can do both. If you would like to subscribe, we have that offering. We started them as weekly subscriptions, but just as you said, people found that their produce is lasting longer for them, and it was enough, so they started saying, hey, could I'm going to skip. Can I do it every other week? So we started just making it a biweekly subscription, or you mm-hmm. can make it a one-time purchase. Oh, boy. There's both I options. Mean- yeah, it's just uh, it's just amazing to me to tell you the truth. Um, do you have the option of customizing what's in the box, or you just get whatever is sent to you? So right now, unfortunately, you do not have much of an option. If you put it in a note section to me, I certainly could say, if you say, well, hey, you know, I don't like Brussels sprouts, but I love asparagus, then we'll give you more asparagus and we won't include Brussels sprouts in your box. But we're looking at a way, the software that we utilize is not friendly to customize. Um, So we're looking at maybe making just small bundles, so maybe a a trio of items, so you can kind of create your own box thing. Uh Now, how about your, um, um, well, I mean, I won't have you. Oh, yeah, because if they're going to write to you, uh, your email would be useful. Oh, sure. Uh, You can reach me, Linda, at AmericanFarmsProduce.com. Okay. Very good. And um, what else is there I don't know about this? About our company? Yeah. Well, um, you know, we we just started in this arena in 2020. Um, we really, we only started in a test market just in our general vicinity in the Strip District because we have a lot of um, neighbors now with all the new condominiums and townhomes and things that have popped up all around us. Um, you know, it's difficult for them for access to groceries in this area. So we thought it would be very convenient for them to deliver straight to their apartments. And, you know, and it was. So you do do that? Yes, we do. You know, I never understood that, that big, what was it called, Pittsburgh Market or something that started out in the Strip, and it fell apart. Um... But, you know, we met a lot of people who actually live in, in the Strip or in town, and, and they, they need access to a service like yours, and yet, I mean, it must be the way it was run, because I didn't think that the inventory was very good, but it went under. Oh, okay, right. And now they have, they put in the terminal, and I thought that there was going to be a market inside yeah. of the terminal. Too. And um, yeah. so far, how will that impact not. your business? Um, I don't know that it would impact greatly, because honestly, we have more of a customer base outside of downtown 
than we do right around us, which was very surprising. So either the people that are living in the condos just don't cook and they go out to dinner all the time, (laughs) and everyone in the suburbs does. I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but it was quite surprising. We thought it would uh, would be the opposite. Right. Well, I mean, it, it just, it, if there's anything we don't know, like any trick to it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, you know, other than how we could tell you how to store your produce or, you know, um, best kept secrets, not how you can maintain that cold chain. Certain fruits and vegetables do not like each other. Some give off more ethylene than others. Um, So when you're storing your items, how to keep that quality longer. Uh Linda, how do you you know what you're going to be able to offer week on week on week? Surely that, that must be a big part of the success or otherwise of being in your business that you sure. you can in fact offer some really excellent and in cases somewhat exotic oh absolutely we 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 deal a lot with a company called Melissa's which is in Los Angeles yes we we and know they, them well and, and boy, boy they have an enormous range of stuff and, and it seems like if it's available, Melissa's will have it. Oh, absolutely. And that's where you're going to find Is that your dragon fruit. And oh, yeah, they, and they're big on dragon fruit. I know. That's where we got pig pineapple. Have you ever seen a pig pineapple? Yes, they're delicious ah. and beautiful. They're a little pricey, right. but they are yeah, good. They certainly. So are those white strawberries are a little pricey. What is it, $2 a berry or something? <laughs> oh, yes. Are you talking about the pine berries or the Japanese Yeah, that's berries? what they call it. They're, that's one of the names. They have different names. Yes, they are. And, you know, they they kind of taste a little bit like a pineapple and a strawberry morphed together. It's oh, a little really? bit of a different taste. No, I've and never had one. Some people look at them and, and they're turned off by the, the sight, like, oh, that's just not a ripe berry, because they see yeah. it, it's like a, a whitish pink, yeah. and they're thinking that it's just not ripe, because it's not red. The Japanese like it, like them. Yeah, so I think that's a very limited season, too, and that's why they're so expensive. Some now, fruits you, are uh, very limited. Now, do you know our friend Lee Jones? Farmer Jones in Ohio. Farmer Jones. Farmer Jones. Um, That's a pretty large operation. A lot of the Ohio farms that we deal with would be more the family farms like Mason Farm in Ohio. Mm -hmm. We pull a lot of local produce in the summertime from them. I see. So, of course, during these months in the winter, we always have – most varieties because we're able to pull from California, we pull from Florida, we pull from Texas. So we have that relationship with those farmers all across. So we're not limited to what's in season in our area or in the Northeast. Yeah, well, Harvey's learned this the the hard way. 
is that they their selling point was that you were supporting your local farmers because it was all local. Well, sure, but it, they really want you to use them instead of actually ever having to go to the store. So they had to open it up, and now they're having some kind of partner farms all over California, Florida, and so on. So Absolutely. You can't do that in our region. I mean, it's, it's no. not available. There's so. just, right. There's only so much you can grow here. It's a fairly limited season, but you can get some of the greatest apples out of PA, too. There's a lot of good apples right. that come out from all the orchards here. And there's also, you know, great corn, potatoes, yeah, a lot potatoes of locally. Good. Right. And Linda, what? How did you end up in this job? And you were tell me your title again. Executive. So I'm the president of American Farms because president. we started this. Um, we turned the company more from it's still a B to B somewhat, but we're concentrating on the B to C market. Okay. And, and again, we're. We um, supply a lot of gift boxes to the corporate world, too. So they use them maybe for onboarding gifts or thank yous to customers. We have some realtors that like to use them as a welcome aboard when they're um, closing the deal on a, on a home for, their, for the new buyer. Uh-huh. And we know that you grew up in a farm community, you said, sort of. So I sort of, I've grown up. Um, my mother worked in the produce industry for practically her whole life. She started out a job in the strip district and worked there for forty-eight years. And oh. myself, I'm here for thirty-seven years now. Wow! And. Um, so in my my uh, grandchildren, my daughter and son-in-law have some property in Cannonsburg that they farm. They plant some fields of corn, and they sell a lot of it just for feed. But with the children, with my grandsons, they pick their crops each year on what they're going to plant, and and they have a great time doing that. So they they supply us with some of the best. Um, homegrown veggies around oh, in the wonderful. summer <laughs> with their that's zucchinis cool. and they have a contest on who can uh, grow the biggest pumpkin who wins oh, wow. that every year but it, yeah it's a very uh it's a very great way for the boys to grow up they learn a lot about farming and working and because they they help work in the fields too they love it absolutely love it yeah, it's always amazing to me. There's so many children that never get exposed to anything even close to that. <laughs> right. So we always they can tell, tell you all story. about tractors and and how to uh, to cultivate. You know what they have to do in the fields to um, prepare them for the next season. They're very knowledgeable. You actually, when you go on our website, you, you can see their pictures. They're on there. <laughs> okay. Now. Um, like long range, where do you think this is going to go? Um, long range, I, you know, I don't see the direct-to-consumer, the home delivery changing much. I think people like that concept. I, do I think too. they like knowing where their food comes from, frankly. Yes. 
You know, I mean, we can trace back to the field, the date, the time it was grown, when it was harvested. And because it's harvested and brought in and shipped out within days to us, I mean, you're getting some of the freshest produce available. To well, you. I just we said that. We our I mean, inventory yeah. here every two days. So we're not holding things. They're turning over constantly, constantly. Well, I, I'm a huge fan at this point, and, and I've oh, had you. plenty of experience with this since the pandemic started, even before that with uh, Farmer Jones, except he really focused on his um, restaurant chef customers, and he didn't want to sell it to a non-professional, you know, and I just watched, and as soon as this pandemic hit, he switched his marketing strategy altogether. Oh. See, we support the home chef. We want you to, to cook with um We even supply you with recipes. You know, we have the recipe box. It changes every few weeks is my favorite recipe. Right now we have a – it's a sugar snap green bean radish um, salad that has honey and tarragon, fresh tarragon on it. Oh, wow. So we want you to – you know, to make those, you know, more like the home chef or like Hello Fresh things like that. I love uh-huh. those. The, yeah. I've learned so many different things. I subscribed to the Hello Fresh box for many years, and it was just enough for my husband and I. But you got to experience so many great new recipes too in the process. So we embrace that concept too. You know, um, usually on the holidays for Thanksgiving, we did a whole Thanksgiving dinner box. We gave you all the items to make five different side dishes, you know, a stuffing, a fresh cranberry sauce, um, different casseroles, and, and people loved it. Well, Linda, I'm surprised I didn't know about you sooner, to tell you the truth. But maybe well, we're you just fairly new, working. so we're just, you know, we're kind of on the, um, we're still have on the verge of the breakthrough here. Okay, well, listeners, don't you forget this. Check out the website, AmericanFarmsPluralProduce.com, and uh, give it a try. And honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm so impressed, Linda. I thank you for taking the time to talk to us about this business because I wasn't sure I understood it so much better than all the other ones I've tried. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. I appreciate it. Yeah. It was great talking with you. And you too. Thank you so much, Linda. Maybe we'll be in touch again. Okay, sounds good. Have a great day. You too. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. That's it for us for today again. We'll be back, of course, with more food news. Well, that does it for us on this Mother's Day. Oh, I almost forgot to wish all your mothers out there a happy day, and, and uh, hopefully you're not going to have to cook. And you'll go someplace fancy and all again and wonderful um, for Mother's Day. It does do it for us anyhow. And uh, we're going to talk to you again next week, same time, same place. And until then, bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station. 
www.aspstation.net.